see you guys tonight. Um, I'm going to teach through a really odd passage of the Bible for a message, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and tell you guys, this is a very odd passage, but it's something that the Lord has really been putting on my heart, and um, it's going to kind of like start off narrow and then get wide as far as talking about like disgrace, like it said in the description. If you got the email or the text or you saw it on social media or, you know, talk to me or any of that, you know, we said tonight we're talking about how God gives us grace in exchange for our disgrace, okay? So it's going to start real narrow, but then it's going to go wide, because um, I really believe when God addresses disgrace, he doesn't address just one kind of disgrace, he addresses all of it through the cross, okay? Um, so we're going to get there, um, but I'm going to be honest, this passage is one that for years and years and years, whenever I'd be reading through the Bible, I would get to it, and like, I got to be like a good Christian and still read through the Bible when I'm reading through the Bible, right? So I'd read it really fast to be done with it because I don't really like this story. Fair? I don't really like this story. I didn't understand why it's there. It made me uncomfortable. So I get to this part of the story. I'd read through it really fast and I'd be like, okay, I did it. And then I'd just keep going. And I didn't really give it much thought until this fall when the Lord started doing some things and encouraging me encouraging me to speak on campus about some things, which really led me to sit in this passage for a long time, and the Lord started to speak to me there, um, and encouraged me to minister out of it. Cool. Um, so if, if we read this story, and you guys are like, I hate this story. <laughs> I, I know your feelings, okay? But every story is in the Bible for a reason. So even if it makes us uncomfortable, it's there for a reason. Um, and so it's really useful for us to like stop and ponder why is it in there and engage it, right? Um, so to start us off, there's this quote from Justin and Lindsay Holcomb. It says, the message of the gospel redeems what has been destroyed and applies grace to disgrace. And I love that. It's super succinct, but it gives us so much truth. Then the message of the gospel redeems what's been destroyed and it applies grace to disgrace. It's almost as if we give God all of all the yuck, all of the hurt, all the pain, and we, we get to swap it for his grace. Um, so like Matt said, it's the Olympics, right? Anybody come to watch the Olympics? I love to watch the Olympics. Like my poor children, I'm about to take over the TV. Um, but then, so recently, because I've been following kind of what's going on in this movement, there's been a lot of news in the Olympics, and it has nothing to do with the Winter Olympians. It has to do with, like, the gymnastics Olympians. Anybody familiar with what I'm talking about? Right? Um, and, man, those stories, as they come out, and you hear young woman after young woman who's been through, like, a really painful situation, it's really easy to stop and think, where is God in all this? Like, where is God in this situation? Where is God in the situation that this poor girl trusts a coach and instead, like, They hurt her. They abuse her, right? Where is God in that? And sometimes in life, you guys, we wonder, where is God in what I'm facing? Anybody ever been there? Right? Now, I'm not smart enough, you know, or wise enough to stop and say, like, you know, here, you know, here's why bad things happen. And, you know, like, we can't cover all of that in one night, right? I don't know if we can cover all of that in our whole lifetime. But I do think this passage really addresses it starts to address where is God in these, in these things that we face that are just terrible, right? Because sometimes life is terrible. So where is God in that? Um, 
So really, like I said, the story, it started last fall. Um, the whole Me Too thing started. I think most of us are familiar with the campaign. Um, it launched on so social media. And then like on campus, there were lots of things going on on campus as well. We had all these events coming up. Uh, not events, but all these things in the paper, all these things coming out. And um, so as a campus missionary, who's a woman, I felt a need to respond because I saw that there are young women who are hurting, who are broken and scared. And I was just like, we just can't be silent about this. I feel like Christians as a whole, like we can't be silent to these issues anymore. And um, then as I really started to look into it, it's like, well, it's not just young women that are hurting, right? Because if we look at statistics and like, these are the, the lower ones, not the higher ones, okay? It means one in four of every young lady and one in six of every young man has been sexually assaulted at some point in their life. Not harassed, assaulted, right? Harassment, it goes up from there. Um, so as I started looking at this and praying about this, and I was like, okay, I'm a, I'm a me, I'm a Jackie. I'm like a smallish little woman, and this is a very big campus, and this is a very big city, and this is a very big world, and what could I possibly do? Um, but then, so after a lot of prayer, I invited young women on our campus to a night just for them. And we had a night, it was just ladies. And I shared my story. And then we looked at what the Bible has to say on issues of sexual assault and sexual harassment. Right? Because um, for you guys that don't know, like the dudes, because you weren't there. Um, sexual assault, it's part of my story. Okay? It's not my whole story. It is not the end of my story. But it is part of my story. Um... And so I've prayed through this part of my story, and I've received a lot of healing there. But you guys, honestly, like, sharing about it publicly was a whole other challenge. To invite any young woman who saw this thing to come in and sit and listen and know that I was going to be, like, open and raw and real. Like, that was terrifying. Um, but I really felt like the Lord was leading me to do it. So um, I started to look at what the Bible has to say to those who have had a similar experience. And as I did, I felt compelled to share, or at least to try. Really, when I talked to the Lord about it, it was not that, like, I'm going to share. I'm like, I'm going to try, right? Because trying and feeling is still better than not trying for the kingdom. So I was like, I'm going to give it a go. Um, and it's not that it wasn't hard. I remember I talked to one person afterwards and described it as taking a cheese grater to my heart. Um, it, it was hard. Like, it's hard to, like, talk about those things. It's uncomfortable. So I'm not going to say it's not hard. If you have, like, a friend or a loved one who's been through this, talking about it's hard. Um, so we need to be, like, compassionate with those people. But I also found that there was so much value in sharing because there's so many young women who are hurting and need someone to offer biblical hope. Okay? Because, like, out there, out in the world, even this campaign, as good as it is, like, it's not offering hope from God. <clears throat> So it's only going to take them so far. Um, and so I shared there, um, a pastor at our church ended up hearing about it and had me come share and end up sharing with the young women at our church as well. And I ended up meeting lots of other people who didn't want to come to like a larger meeting, you know, because then other people see it. I don't know. Um, but I ended up meeting lots of people one-on-one -on -one and kind of like working through this issue with lots and lots and lots of young ladies. Um, but through that process, I learned the Bible, the Bible, has a lot to say 
about sexual assault and harassment. And it has lots to offer those who survived it. I also learned that for the most part, it's not being addressed within the church. How do I know? Because I addressed it within the church and it was uncomfortable. And some people completely avoided it and they're like, oh, you talked. I'm like, mm-hmm. they're like, you talked tonight. And I'm like, mm-hmm. How was it to share about that? And I was like, to share about a sexual assault? It was hard. You know, but I'm like, we're in a church, we're even afraid to like say the word. And I'm like, but the problem with that is like, so somebody's been through that. Man, if, if a church person won't even say the words, how are they supposed to tell you, I've been through this, right? If we're too ashamed to even, like, mention the topic. And so I feel like it's one of those things as Christians we have to address. Because, like, one in four and one in six, that's a huge percentage of our culture that is hurting and broken and needs the hope of the gospel, right? And then, like, we're going to talk from there. There's other things that we deal with that cause disgrace also that aren't just this. Um, so the Bible has a lot to say. And... Scripture offers healing. And so this is a message that needs to be shared, so that's why I'm sharing it. And I think um, as the Lord's been leading me, he's really been leading me to like continue to talk about this, to continue to study, to continue to look into ways to like resource young women for me, because I'm a girl, right? So I minister women. Um, but like then there's also like people to connect young men with who are like dealing with this. Um, so enter Tamar. <laughs> Her story's in the Bible. Her story's the one in the Bible that I don't like um, to look at, or I didn't until now, but really as I started to read it, the Lord has taught me so much. There's a few places in the Bible that actually address the act of sexual assault. And one of the most lengthy accounts is this one, Tamar. As I started to study her story to see if anything, if it offered anybody anything to help with this, I started to realize that other Christian resources, the few that there are, like, they all go to the story. They all look at it um, as, as a means for offering, like, discourse and then, like, healing from sexual assault from people who dealt with it. Um, so the Lord started teaching me through her story, and I really believe it has an important application, not just for those that have been hurt through sexual assault or harassment, but for everyone who's felt disgrace of some kind. And everyone who's found themselves in a situation asking, where is God in all this? Um, so we're going to read her story. And it's not a pretty story. I think y'all at this point know to expect it's not a pretty story. But we're going to learn something. Cool. Um, so Second Samuel 13, verse 1, it says, Now David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. She was a virgin, and Amnon thought he could never have her. But Amnon had a very crafty friend, his cousin Jonadab. He was the son of David's brother Shemiah. One day Jonadab said to Amnon, What is the trouble? Why should the son of a king look so dejected morning after morning? So Amnon told him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Well, Jonadab said, I'll tell you what to do. Go back to bed and pretend you are ill. When your father comes to see you, Ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him you'll feel better if she prepares it as you watch and feeds you with her own hands. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick. And when the king came to see him, Amnon asked him, Please let my sister Tamar come and cook my favorite dish as I watch. Then I can eat it from her own hands. So David agreed and sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. 
When Tamar arrived at Amnon's house, she went to the place where he was lying down so he could watch her make some dough. She baked his favorite dish for him. But when she set the serving tray before him, he refused to eat. Everyone get out of here, Amnon told the servants, so they all left. Then he said to Tamar, now bring the food into my bedroom and feed, feed it to me here. So Tamar took his favorite dish, but as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother, she cried, don't be foolish, don't do this to me. Such wicked things are not done in Israel. Where could I go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Please just let me speak to the king about it, and he will let you marry me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her, and since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate, and he hated her even more than he had loved her. Get out of here, he snarled at her. No, no, Tamar cried. Sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted to a servant and demanded, Throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. So the servant put her out and locked the door behind her, and she was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as was the custom in those days for the king's virgin daughters. But now Tamar, Tamar tore the robe, put ashes on her head, and then with her face in her hands, she went away crying. Her brother Absalom saw her and said, Is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now, since he's your brother. Don't worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard what happened to her, he was very angry. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. Okay. So, first of all, how many of you guys is like the most Bible you've read in a long time? You don't have to raise your hand. It's a long passage, right? But I feel like, like I'm like, some people are like, wow, it just keeps going. You can see their faces. Even while I'm looking down, they're like, hmm. Okay. But like, y'all, this story, it's messed up. And it's in the Bible. And sometimes it's very interesting to be like, I didn't know that the Bible addressed things like this. It does. It does. Because God, his heart is for real people. It's going to real people, for real people to come to know him. Um, right? But this story, we see lots of aspects of it that are messed up. We're going to walk through it. But the words that stick out to me the most from her story is this. So, um, where she says, where will I get rid of my disgrace, right? Where he's like saying, and she's like, if you do this, where will I go to get rid of my disgrace? Um, and honestly, you guys, in 2 Samuel 13, this story is everything that's wrong with how to respond to sexual assault or temptation, for that matter. Okay? And so we're going to, like a friend suggests to Amnon that he sexually assault his half-sister, right? Um, side note, the same friend is the one that tells the king that Amnon's been murdered later, <laughs> right? Um, so you keep reading, not a real friend, not a real friend, same guy. Um, but he suggests this, right? Amnon actually commits this act. Then we see Absalom tell his sister, just keep quiet, right? And then we see King David, and we think, surely, like King David will do something. This is King David, but he doesn't respond. Um, so none of these things should have happened. It seems, as you're reading the passage, that every step of the way the story gets worse and worse and worse. Um, yet it's here in the Bible, so why? I think it's here because we're supposed to learn from it. Here in this horrible story, we find many things that are helpful to those who have suffered any disgrace and to the body of believers and how to respond and help those who are suffering from these things. Okay? And so the first thing is this. Tamar's story, it doesn't take 
place in some faraway heathen kingdom way far out of Israel, does it? No, it takes place in Israel among God's people. Um, further still, this happens among the children of Israel's king, the godly king David. Um, so if this is what can be a reality among David's children, that probably tells us that none of us are immune. Um, like Tamar's story lets us know, like horrific things like this, they happen, right? They don't happen out there. Sometimes they happen to people in here. Sometimes they happen to people in our church. Sometimes they happen to our friend down the hall in our dorm, okay? Like it's not like a faraway thing. Um, and also, this story lets us know that we're all going to face temptation. Even though we're children of the king, right? We're going to face temptation. We can be like Amnon, or we can be smart. This story ends really bad. Um, by the way, every time in the Old Testament that we see someone sexually assaulted, it ends in death, like a war, or in this case, he's murdered. It's kind of interesting. Not that I'm saying that, but, but it does, and it does show that there's like a really severe punishment for that, um, which I think is really interesting. Right? Okay, so first, it tells us that these things, they happen like within and, and among us. It's not some faraway thing. Um, so if you like have a friend or a loved one or like you've been through this, man, that's not weird. Like we should know that these things will happen, so we respond with compassion and love. Second, Tamar's story shows us how not to respond, right? How not to respond. I think in this whole story, the only person who responds to anything correctly in a way that is that is good is Tamar, right? Like the only person in the whole story. Um First, Amnon shows us how not to respond to temptation, right? Because God's people were supposed to make like Joseph, and like when temptation comes, we flee, right? We don't entertain it, and then like come up with some um, plan, right? And so, Tamar's story also shows us how not to respond to somebody who's been through the situation of sexual assault or some other thing that's caused them disgrace, um, right? So everyone responds terribly. Amnon, the second he does this, he throws her out. Because lust, lust isn't love, okay? Like, like physical lust is not love. It's actually a form of hate. Because like on the other side of that, you just get hate. Um, and so he throws her out. And I think for us, like at this point in the story, we already know he's a bad guy, right? We're like, Amnon, bad guy. So we kind of expect him to continue to act bad. Right? But then, Absalom, her brother, who cares for her, this is the brother that cares for her, he says, well, my sister, keep quiet. Right? Which is forced silence. Which, like, forcing someone who has been in a situation where they feel ashamed, where they feel disgraced, to keep silent is only going to add to shame and disgrace. So, like, telling somebody, don't, don't talk about that, that's uncomfortable, or well, that happened, but it's over now. Like, that's only going to add to it, which we need to know. Like, as the body of believers, we need to know. Don't be like, if somebody's hurting and you're trying to love them, don't be like, shh. Right? No, like, they've got to they've talk. Um, and then, as we read this story, we may think, surely King David hears about this. There's, things are going to be set right. But when David hears about everything that's happened, it says he's angry, but he doesn't do anything. And so... I think this is the part that angers me the most with the story because I'm like, this is her dad. Like, this is Tamar's father. He's supposed to, like, 
do like the the death thing, like step in, right? He should defend her, but he doesn't. And his lack of response also adds to her disgrace. Um, Because when you've been through a situation where you're feeling shame, you're feeling disgrace, and there's a lack of response that only further adds to the shame and disgrace that's experienced by the person. Um, So it's like when people just don't, like when they're just like, oh, I don't know what to do, so they do nothing. Like that adds to it. And so then the third thing we can learn from this story um, is the fact that it's in the Bible, right? This story is in the Bible, um, and that's really important, okay, that this story is in the Bible. Because that means if you've been disgraced, or if you've been silenced, or you've been hurt, and no one came to your defense, the Word of God relates to you, right? If you've been shamed, or silenced, or hurt, and no one has come to your defense, The word of God relates to you. It's not silent, right? It doesn't say be quiet. It doesn't say don't talk about it. It's it's in print for thousands of years. It's it's talked about it over and over and over. Um, God's word speaks of grace and gives life and worth to those who have been disgraced and to those who have been used. The word of God is not silent about issues of sexual violence. It's not silent about lots of other issues of of, uh, violence and people being mistreated. Instead, it speaks loud and clear. And instead of silencing those who've been disgraced, God's word gives them a voice. Right? And I think that's really important because so many times when people are hurting, they're like, "What what could God do for me? Or they're like, what could I find in the Bible? It's like, man, can you really read it? It addresses, like, real-life stuff. Real-life stuff. Um, But the Word of God also reveals a father who gets involved. Right? So it's not just the Word of God addresses it and gives a voice to these people, but it reveals to us a God who says he relates to us as Father who gets involved. Um, Because, you guys, Father God, he saw a world full of shame, full of disgrace, not just from sexual assault, but from all the effects of sin. And into this broken, hurting world, he sent his son, Jesus. He sent him to live among us, to die for us in our place. This son, by his death, paid the price for every sin, every hurt, every disgrace. The father, through the blood of his son, Jesus, shed on the cross, gets involved and offers grace for disgrace. Through this act of redemption, Father God shows us that no one has to remain silent or desolate. Instead, all may receive grace healing, cleansing, and freedom from sin and shame. So you guys, Tamar, we read, and this is the end of her story, right? The end of her story, later Absalom has a daughter, and he names the daughter Tamar after his sister, and so we kind of see like a, like a shadow of redemption in that, right? This is the end of her story in the Bible, but like it's not the end of God's story of his people, right? And into God's story to his people who have had shame and hurt and sin right he sent his son and when he sent his son Jesus then identifies with us because it says like he was like human right in every way he was like us he has our same weaknesses right he had our same hurts and if we want to talk about somebody feeling like disgraced left alone rejected well while he was hanging on his cross one of his very best friends, Peter, denied him. 
goes before he was on the cross. But he denied him. Like all the disciples scattered and ran. He was left completely alone, right? Um, so Jesus knows what it is to be alone. He knows what it is to be hurt. He knows what it is to face disgrace, right? But he did that so that he could offer salvation from sin. And he did that so that he could offer us grace for disgrace. And so, like, into all of that hurt that we might feel from life, into the pain of rejection, into the feeling of abandonment, Jesus was disgraced and hurt and abandoned, right? So now, like, when we trust in him as Savior, he's our Savior from sin, but he also offers us healing and wholeness from all of those things that have happened in our life. And, like, in him, we can be healed and whole and free. Um, so Tim Chester says this. He has an excellent um, commentary on 2 Samuel. It's called 2 Samuel for you. He's not. Um, it says, 2 Samuel leaves us longing for a king who will exercise justice without hypocrisy. A king with moral authority. We need Jesus. Then he says this. But King Jesus does more than execute justice. He also covers our shame. Where can I get rid of my disgrace? Tamar asked before she was assaulted. The answer will be at the cross. At the cross, Jesus not only atoned for our guilt, he also removed our shame. He puts right both the wrong we have done and the wrong that has been done to us. Y'all, that's important. He puts right both the wrong things we've done and the wrong things that have been done to us. He clothes us in his righteousness and makes us children of God. In Isaiah 61, it says this. um, In Isaiah, he's like an Old Testament prophet, so he's foretelling who Jesus would be, but these are like the promises that are fulfilled in, in Jesus the Messiah. It says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. Instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. So Tamar asked, where can I get rid of my disgrace? Like too many men over the years, Amnon refused to listen, but Jesus hears and replies, Isaiah 61, 7, instead of disgrace, you'll rejoice in your inheritance. To women and men like Tamar covered in ashes, Jesus promises, Isaiah 61, 3, a crown of beauty for ashes. Jesus will renew what once was desolate and devastated. You can bring the shame that haunts your dreams and disgrace. You can't move to dreams to Jesus. So like we can bring this stuff to Jesus. Where is God and what you've been through? He's on the cross, suffering in your place, so he can take your hurt and fear and shame and replace it with joy and life and salvation and an inheritance from God. Tamar left weeping with her robe torn, but Jesus promises to bind up the brokenhearted and clothe them with a garment of praise instead of despair. So you guys, I think that's really important. That Jesus, he came to comfort those who mourn, to provide those who grieve a crown of beauty instead of ashes, to give us joy instead of mourning and praise instead of despair. Like, 
that's what he came to do. Isaiah told us. And then, like, when Jesus came and, and he opened the scroll, this is what he read. And he said, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, right? So this, Jesus said, this is what I came to do. Um, but I think that's what he offers to, like, every single one of us. Because sometimes, like, we're in the process and we're like, you know, I don't know Jesus at all. And if you're here tonight and you're like, I don't know Jesus at all as my Lord, as my Savior, that's the most important thing. It's the most important decision you can ever make in your life. Because that means that, like, we admit, I've done wrong because we've all done wrong, right? And so we all fall short of, like, the perfection of who God is because God's never done anything wrong, right? If, he, if God did wrong, if he sinned, he'd cease to be God, right? So to have a relationship with God, we're in, we're in this problem if we have sinned, right? If we've done wrong. And we need Jesus to come clean us and make us right. So, like, if we're there and we're like, man, I don't know Jesus at all, then tonight will give you the opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior, right? Because this is the most important decision you can ever make. But then some of us, we know, like, Jesus is my Savior, and Jesus loves me, and he died on the cross for me. But sometimes we stop there and fail to realize that, like, the cross, like, that's sufficient for all of it, right? It's not just sufficient that, like, he forgave me, and now I've got to work really hard to, like, live this perfect, good Christian life in, like, I'm still really hurt from my past, but, like, he loves me, so I'm going to, no, it's like, man, we lean into the cross for strength and for healing and for wholeness in all of those areas, all the areas that we have hurt and shame and pain. Like, that's how we get to that place. You guys, that's how I got to the place that, like, I can share about this part of my life, right? Because, like, there was a time I didn't tell anybody, you know? Like, I, was, I didn't tell Matt. We were dating. I'm like, I can't talk about this, right? But then when I started to come to Jesus and realize, man, as much as I felt shame and disgrace, what happened to me, like, Jesus understands shame and disgrace, and, like, he suffered that, too, when he was whipped, and he was beaten, and he was nailed to that cross, and he died, like, in front of all these people with the mocking. He understands that. So he didn't just, just die to take sin. He did die to take our sin. It's really important. Right? But he also died to take the effects of the sin that's happened to us and set us free. And um, so we're going to pray for those two things tonight. So the first one is like, if you say, I don't know Jesus is my Lord and Savior and I need to, we pray for that. And the second one, this is not, okay, it's not saying I've been like sexually assaulted. Cool. This is saying like, like I hurt. Or there's some area of my life that like someone has hurt me and I need Jesus to come meet me in that and heal my heart. Okay. Um, and that'll be the second thing we pray for, which, like, honestly, is probably all of us because we live among other humans, and humans are not perfect, right? So humans cause hurt. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna pray for us. And like, before I do, you guys, just thanks for listening. Thanks for hearing this. And like, please, please, like, take it with you that as as you talk to friends, you talk to people in classes or whatever, like if they have this story or another story where they, they're feeling shame or they're feeling like they've really been hurt, man, be that Christian that's willing to listen and respond with compassion not tell them to be silent, not be like, ooh, this is uncomfortable, let's not, you know? Because um, it wasn't too uncomfortable for Jesus. Instead, Jesus became super uncomfortable and died um, so they could be free. And so, as Christians, we can be a little uncomfortable and listen and offer hope and healing, right? Um, 
So thanks for listening and like taking that with me. But let's pray. God, we just pray that you would come and you have your way in this place. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, that you died to set us free from sin. And Jesus, that you rose again three days later, so you're victorious. That means you conquered it, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that you also take away our shame and our hurt and our disgrace. And you replace it with your love and your joy and your peace and your grace. And God, I just pray that you would minister to hearts and lives now, Lord, as we pray. And so that you guys with every head bowed, every eye closed, is there anybody here that would say, I need to know Jesus as my Savior? If that's you, would you raise your hand? Anybody else? All right, Lord, you see this hand? Oh, we just pray. Um, in your name, Lord, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, we thank you for being everything that we need, Lord Jesus, to set us free from the captivity of sin. Lord, we trust on you and what you did on the cross and then your resurrection from the dead, that you would make us free and whole and new in Jesus Christ, and that you would enable us to live for you for the rest of our life. And I know we're going to pray for the second thing. Is there anyone that says, you know, I'm hurting and I need Jesus to come minister to that hurt in my life? Lord Jesus, you see these brothers and sisters. Lord, you see these brothers and sisters, and Lord, um, you understand their hurt. Lord Jesus, it says in Hebrews that you're able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus, that means you understand. And Lord, so I just pray that as you understand and as you died to bring healing and wholeness, Lord God, you would minister to each brother and each sister tonight. Lord God, that you would begin the process of healing. Lord, of walking with you in this, of taking um, this hurt to you. And Lord, letting you give grace over grace, Lord God, and, and take away um, just the pain and the hurt that's been felt. Lord, I just pray that you continue to work in these lives um, until they are fully, completely, and totally healed. In the name of Jesus.